Well, I'd say that it's difficult to overestimate the power of words. If you think about it, wars have been started by them. People are condemned or saved by them. Families are made and broken by them. They have a power all of their own. And it would seem also that the more powerful and significant the speaker, then the more powerful the words. Now, I can rant and rave about abuse in our community or some other really big issue, and some of you might agree with me. You might even come along with me to a degree, but not all that much will be done. However, if the Prime Minister or some other media figure speaks about it, then all of a sudden there are soldiers and police and government officials jumping about doing all kinds of stuff about it. And if the leader of a world uh, power speaks, then it seems that things change quickly too. So if the President of the United States speaks, then the whole world seems to sit up and take notice of what is said. The words are powerful in and of their own right. But if words are backed up, if they come with authority, then you fail to heed them at your own peril. I want you to imagine with me just for a minute now how you would respond if God spoke to you tonight. Now, I'm not talking about you picking up your Bible and reading, which is just as valid, but I'm talking about one of those miraculous spiritual experiences where you actually audibly heard God's voice. How would you respond if God spoke to you tonight? If you heard the same voice that brought the world into being, reaching out and using your name, it would be kind of unsettling, wouldn't it? Just for a moment. Well, as we continue today to look at Luke's Gospel, we're going to see authority in action. Not just any authority, God's authority. We'll see God the Son, Jesus, speak with authority and we'll see how those around him responded to it. What we're beginning to do is to see Jesus as he truly is, just as Luke wanted Theophilus to do. We're looking beyond the the baby stories of cradles and mangers and hay, those stories that we grew up with, and we're watching Jesus in action in the world. Now, it's very important for you to have your Bibles open at Luke chapter 4 and 5 this morning. I'm going to cover a lot of ground, so very important to have your Bibles open. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus has come through his period of testing and he's been revealed as the one true Adam and the one true faithful Israel. That was kind of the point of the story last week that we read. Adam failed when the tempter came to him, so I can't put my trust in Adam. Israel failed in their 40 years of temptation in the wilderness, but here, here at last, is one in whom I can put my trust, one who succeeds in the face of temptation. Now we already know that the scriptures have anticipated his arrival. We know that God has publicly acknowledged him and with power at his baptism. We've seen that the mission that he is to preach is about good news to the poor. He's to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind. He's to release the oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. We've already covered all of that. So despite all of the humble appearances, this Jesus is sounding more and more like the promised one, isn't he? But will the reality match with the expectation? 
Well, the first instance of Jesus' authority in action that we'll look at is kind of surprising and extremely revealing. Luke chapter 4, verses 33 to 37. Please make sure you've got it there. Luke chapter 4, verses 3 to 37. In this synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon and he cried out with a loud voice, Let us alone. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent, come out of him. When the demon had thrown him down before them, he came out of him without having done him any harm. They were all amazed and kept saying to one another, What kind of utterance is this? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And a report about him began to reach every place in the region. Now I wonder what struck you. What struck you about this exchange? Was it the fact that the evil spirit recognised Jesus when so many didn't? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The things of humility that confuse the human eyes don't seem to confuse the spiritual ones, do they? I wonder what else might have struck you. Was it the fact that Jesus' command to be obeyed is instantly obeyed by this enemy? Because that's striking, isn't it? There's no argument. There's no struggle. There's no great battle. It's completely one-sided. Jesus commands and the evil one obeys. Now that certainly speaks volumes about Jesus' power and authority, doesn't it? Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. An evil spirit may be evil, but they certainly aren't stupid. This spirit knows who really has the power. Do you see what he's scared about? Have you come to destroy us? I wonder if that struck you. Or what about this? Were you struck by the fact that Jesus wouldn't let the evil spirit speak on about who he really is? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. In our minds, we tend to think that it would be an advantage for people to know who Jesus really is. But not yet in Jesus' mind. He's quite happy at this stage, revealing himself only partially and only to those to whom he chooses to reveal himself. What we see here overall, though, is this, isn't it? What we see is Jesus completely in control. He has the authority and power even over his enemies, and they know it. Now, just as an aside... There are two common mistakes that Christians tend to make with regard to evil spiritual forces. Firstly, because we live in a Christian country and because we don't see them manifested very often, we can act like they don't exist and therefore we can become very complacent and ignorant about the spiritual realities of the world. That's one mistake we can make. And a second mistake we can make is that we can give them too much power, thinking that there's some sort of rival power of God. You know, that, that God's power is here, but evil power is here, and we're not quite sure which one is going to win. 
Now, some very popular Christian books like Piercing the Darkness and The Bondage Breaker make this kind of mistake. In the Bible, the forces of evil are never able to resist God's command. That's comforting, isn't it? In the whole Bible, there is never a fierce struggle between the forces of good and evil that could go either way. In every instance, if God speaks, the fight is over. As simple as that. And nowhere in the Bible is one of God's people ever possessed by an evil spirit. As if God, the Holy Spirit, who dwells in the human heart, would share a downstairs flat with some unclean, evil spirit. I'm not aware of anywhere in the Bible where a Christian person, one of God's people, is possessed by evil. But those who don't have Christ live in a very different reality. Those who don't have Christ don't have access to his presence or his protection. So for those who don't trust and obey God, well, the danger for them is very real. And we should never take that for granted. Here in Luke chapter 4, just as elsewhere, uh, when God speaks, in this case it's God the Son speaking, and he speaks with authority and instantly the battle is over. The battle runs the same way again and again and again throughout the Gospels with the same result every time. Have a a look with me at Luke chapter 4 verse 41. You'll see it there again. Demons also came out of many shouting, you're the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. The mission is underway, don't you see it? To free prisoners, to release captives. But Jesus' authority doesn't stop at the edge of the spiritual world. Have a look with me now at Luke chapter 4, verse 38 and 40. After leaving the synagogue, he entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked him about her. Then he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. Immediately she got up and began to serve them. As the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various kinds of diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on each of them and cured them. Here, creation itself, broken creation in this instance, is also under Jesus' power and authority. And what a ministry he has here. It's stunning, isn't it? He just walks through and reverses the fall, if you like. The temptation for us, I think, is to think, wouldn't it be so much easier to reach our town if something as spectacular as this was going on amongst us. Jesus certainly has the power and authority to do things like this, and I have seen it myself over the years. So I'm very happy to ask our powerful king if he'd be kind enough to heal anyone who's struggling with sickness. But I wonder if we should be thinking the same way with regard to our ministries. If you have a look, Jesus does this healing power, these big powers again in in chapter 5, verses 12 to 14. Here's a man who has a skin disease and he recognises Jesus' authority. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell down with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean, and immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, 
but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Did you see there? Did you notice again the command not to speak? And have a look now at chapter 4, verse 42. Not only is he silencing those who are speaking the truth about his identity, but he's also leaving behind, very surprisingly, these successful ministries. At daybreak, he departed and went into a deserted place. And the crowds were looking for him. And when they reached him, they wanted to prevent him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other cities also. For I was sent for this purpose. So he continued proclaiming the message in the synagogues of Judea. And chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. But now more than ever the word about Jesus spread abroad. Many crowds would gather to hear him and to be cured of their diseases, but he would withdraw to deserted places and to pray. The spectacular, you see, is something that he is able to do, but it's not necessarily the centre of what he does. The speaking to people and the speaking to God... Well, these have a priority over the rest, even if the results are a little less obvious and spectacular to human eyes. You see, in the end, there's no point to do the impressive stuff or the spectacular stuff or even the pleasing stuff if in the end there's no explanation, no understanding and connection with who Jesus really is. We could put on all kinds of glitzy and glamorous things here, couldn't we? We could do the things that please the most people, we could, we could get involved massively in social welfare, in, in great social events. We could put on flashy entertainments, pretty shows. We could, we could live great and attractive lives. We could have great preachers, all kinds of things. And these might make us popular. But in the end, they won't count eternally if people don't come into contact with, if people don't encounter Jesus as he truly is. They won't count unless people come to face with Jesus, face to face with him and his authority. In the next passage, Jesus' authority becomes personal. And if you're struggling to pay attention, well, shake yourself and pay attention now. Because this is really important. Here, we can start to feel just a little bit uncomfortable as Jesus shows his authority over people. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus takes the fishermen fishing and they get a lesson about real knowledge and power. Luke chapter 5 verse 4, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long and we have caught nothing. Do you want me to translate that for you into modern English? Jesus, you don't know what you're doing. I'm the fisherman. I've been working hard all night. What have you got to say to me? Who are you? Really? I'm the fisherman. I'm in charge of the boat. Sit back down and have a rest. Yet, if you say so, I will let down the nets, as stupid as that might be. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signalled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. 
And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. So many fish, in fact, are caught that it nearly sinks two boats. This is a demonstration of power and authority in the extreme. And it's a slap in the face to Peter. Simon Peter is forced to recognise two things here. One is Jesus' power and authority and the other is his own rebellious, sinful nature. Have a look at chapter 5, verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. You see, meeting the real Jesus is not always a comfortable experience. You might get confronted with the fact that you've been running the world your own way and that he is not pleased with that. You might even be embarrassed to speak with him as he calls your stupidity into focus. Peter gets a picture of who Jesus truly is and we will too if we allow the real Jesus to impact even on our self-image of the way that we think about ourselves. Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. I do not even deserve to be in your presence. And he's right. But then listen to Jesus' command and their response. Verses 10 and 11. Then Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching people. Now I want to read that in a different way. Because we so often read it incorrectly. It reads like this, actually. Do not be afraid anymore. From now on, you will be catching people. With that, they brought their boats to shore. They left everything and they followed him. The same thing happens in verses 27 and 28. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up, left everything and followed him. Don't gloss over what Luke is saying here. Jesus has a call on people's lives. Not a suggestion, not an urging, and not just bits and pieces. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. And what were these people leaving? Wealth? Well, yes, that's true, especially in the case of Levi, or Matthew, as we know him better. Security? Yes, that as well. A business and a direction? Yes, those. But more. In both cases, did you hear the word? It was everything. They left everything and followed him. Even the sin that held them captive. That's what Jesus is like. And the response is one that he deserves just because of who he is, let alone because of what he does. We can be so often people who hang on to the pig bucket, can't we? We have our chores, our relationships, our tasks and equipment that we just don't want to let go of, even if it stinks. I'll follow you, Jesus, if I can still have this. I'll follow you, Jesus, if I can still do that. Funny that out of all the kings of the world, 
we think that we'd be in a position to negotiate with this one. Other kings have power, but there is one more display of authority here that we dare not overlook. This is the authority that Jesus has to deal with to forgive sin. Now most of us probably know this story very well. There is a paralysed man there. He's brought by his friends to Jesus so that he might be healed. We didn't read this passage. I spoke about it in the kids' spot. In verse 20, just to summarise it, when he saw their face, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Already for the paralysed man, his greatest need has been met. More important than his health and mobility, more important than his ability to support himself and to be relieved of his suffering, more important than those great issues. This is eternal healing that Jesus offers. And it raises a huge question. Verse 21, Then the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, Who is this who is speaking blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And they are right. If I punch Simon, it's to Simon that I must go to ask for forgiveness. If I sin against God, it is to God that I must go to ask forgiveness. And here is God the Son. The question that the Pharisees ask is a good one and look at how Jesus responds to them. Verses 23 to 25. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, stand up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the one who is paralysed, I say to you, stand up, take your bed and go to your home. Immediately he stood up before them, took what he'd been lying on, and he went to his home glorifying God. Did you notice that? Get up, go. What does he do? Gets up, goes. He's responding to the authority of the king. And Jesus' question, which is easier? Well, both of them are impossible for someone like me. They're impossible for someone like you. But for Jesus, they are as easy as saying four words. Now, we need a right relationship with God to have a hope and a future that lasts, don't we? In Jesus, that possibility becomes real and available through the forgiveness of sins as we respond to his call, to his command to come to him. In the end, it's impossible for a man to forgive sins because in the end, God is the one that's sinned against. Our rebellion is, is against him. But who is this Jesus? Well, he's the one who finds it just as easy to restore a man's walking as it is to restore life or health or forgiveness. The one whom even the demons have to obey when he speaks. That's who Jesus is. This is Jesus the King. This is God the Son. And he says of himself in another place, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And brothers and sisters, this day we have seen him through the scriptures. Let me pray that each of us might respond appropriately to him and his authority from now and forevermore.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do give you great thanks for the clarity of your word. We give you thanks for this piece of scripture that we've worked through today. We give you thanks for Jesus. And we pray that we might respond to him, that we might hear his call to leave everything and to follow him. Help us to drop our pig buckets, we pray, and to be his completely and fully by the power of your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.